Hey family, welcome to another episode of Rise Up With Jazz, the podcast for the healing woman. You are knee deep into season two, where we are listening to the men's side of the story. If you haven't gotten a chance to catch up on season one, I highly recommend that you do. You're going to hear some some powerful stories of overcoming there from a woman's perspective. See, season two, we're getting the men's perspective, which I think is equally as important and I'm excited to provide a platform for some really incredible men to share their side of the story. I'm excited today because I am going to be interviewing uh, a man that I consider extremely courageous and I'll tell you why. Mr. Dom Waltower has been on both sides of domestic abuse. When we hear about domestic abuse, it's, it's usually about a male, a woman, and then you get to hear that woman's side of the story as the victim. Um, and what I've learned in getting to know Dom is that um, he's experienced all sides of abuse. And now as a domestic prevention advocate, he spends time teaching and speaking to predominantly men on domestic abuse. And I think it's one of those topics that go underrated when it comes to men openly talking about domestic abuse and and their role in it. And so, Mr. Dom Waltower, how are you today, sir? I'm doing very well. Thank (laughs) you for that um, introduction. I appreciate you and uh, for even this this show and then bringing up this topic. I'm, I'm really grateful for that. So thank you. Yeah, you know, I experienced abuse as a child, witnessing it, Mm -hmm. you know, happening to my mother, Mm -hmm. experiencing it personally, uh, when it comes to emotional abuse Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. physical abuse. And so as the female, I know what that feels like. And I've been able to connect with a lot of women from that perspective. But you, as a man, I just think it's so awesome that you're talking about uh, such a sensitive subject and where you know men don't typically openly talk about this kind of stuff because you know a safe place hasn't really been created for men to do that and you know we live in a society where men don't talk about their feelings don't talk about healing don't talk about their emotions and and we see where that gets us as a society Mm -hmm. um and so share with us how you've turned your pain into your purpose now um well, you, you mentioned a safe space. And um, for me, when I was, I was going through a healing journey, which I'll, which I'll uh, get to in a second and that I'm still on, as I was going through that journey and I started to look around and find out, to, to find out where other people were like me. You know, where are other men who have been um, abusive and who have been grown up in trauma and who were actually talking about this? And so the more I looked, the I quickly noticed that there is no one out there. There's no there's no places, quote unquote, safe places that you talk about. And so for me, I've had this uh, just this, um, I guess, this idea in me that I I don't need a safe place. I'm going to create one. Uh, I'm not waiting for a safe place. I can't wait for someone else to create that space. I need it now. So then 
I feel like I was uh, put in a position to create that space for us to have these conversations. Mm -hmm. And um, because if I waited, then I would be sitting here silent for the last seven years and, and never growing and never healing and never helping others. So that was really mm -hmm. important. And, and how I got to this place was um, um, I grew up in an environment of with domestic violence. And ironically enough, my mom was the offender in my home. But my mom, and when I speak about my mom, I'm, I'm not speaking disparaging words to her. I'm just explaining her brokenness for context. Mm -hmm. um, and so learning, uh, learning this behavior um, from my mother, who uh, actually what I learned later was severely abused by my biological dad, mm. um, you know, and then learning even further my, the history of my family, it just, just, you know, it was, it was very common. And so my mom was the uh, abusive towards my stepfather. And so I learned the physical there and without knowing it, there was a class being taught without no anyone teaching mm. a lesson. And so this is, uh, you know, a lot of us are teaching lessons to our kids without class being taught. And so this is a uh, unintentional passive message that's being taught. And so it was being taught to me and I didn't know it was there. And so it didn't come out in my childhood. You wouldn't, I wasn't a violent child. I wasn't, I wasn't getting into fights. I was playing, I played, I played hard. I played from sun up to sun down. So I was just having a great time as a kid. And that was sort of my escape from um, the things that were happening in my home. Was your mom actually abusive towards you or you witnessed her be abusive towards other men? Um, I just, it was my stepdad and my mom was a firecracker, so to speak. She would get in fights everywhere. Like she would, you know, I talk to my uncle about it and we just joke. Mom was, mom was no joke. She, <laughs> she would throw whatever was, was right next to her at you. Or she would, if there was some person on the streets that got out you know out of line and she was she was that person she was quick and, to respond oh yeah yeah she was mm -hmm. quick to go to respond in that way and so um the abuse uh the first physical altercation I've ever gotten into in my life was with my mother and that's because we had moved around a lot when I was younger and so when we finally got to my stepdad's home my stepdad was 6'5 260 he was an older gentleman. He was probably about 50. Um, he was hardworking. He worked at the post office at night and then uh, a graveyard shift. And then he worked uh, as a trash collector during the day. So he was a hardworking man. He was very quiet. He just, he just, he did his job. He was a provider. He came mm -hmm. home, got his food, went into the room, took his nap. And, and so um, I, you know, we had a house. It was the first time we were in a house you know, when we moved in with him, other than that, we was in apartments, you know, bouncing around from place to place. So when um, we got there and we were there for a few years and my mom said, you know, she got an argument with him. She said, we're leaving and, and we're going back to California because we we're in Chicago. I said, no, I'm not leaving. I'm staying here with Louie because that was the first place I've experienced stability. Mm. And um, and I remember the rage. I was about 13 at the time. And I remember the rage in her eyes. And then she next thing I know, she, her hands were around my throat. And, um, and I remember blacking out for a second and then I came to, I was on the couch and it was really quick. It was like two or three seconds where it was how, and I like opened my eyes and she was on top of me. So I pushed her off of me and then I, she fell off and I ran out of the house and then I went to stay at my friend's house for a couple of days. And then, um, I was over there for a couple of days. They, they, my, the neighbors kind of knew our situation, but you know, this was the eighties. 
mm-hmm. you know, and they, so, um, stayed at my friend's house for a couple of days and then, um, came back a couple of days later and then walked in the house. She was sitting on the couch, smoking a cigarette. She asked me if I was hungry. You know, there's a meme about, uh, black moms apologizing. Did she apologize? <laughs> so, no, well, the, the, the meme says how black moms apologize. They say, are you hungry? Are you hungry? <laughs> Let me just feed you, boy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I walked in the house and that meme, I just thought about the meme right now where uh, she says, you hungry? I'm like, yeah, I could eat. You know, she's like, some food in there, get you something to eat. So, Did you, you know, know that was her apology then at that no. time? Did you know? Heck no, I had no idea. But it was her caring. I knew that she, you know, was making sure that I was okay. One mm-hmm. thing that my mom did exhibit, even in the middle of her uh, deficiency, is I knew that she cared about me. Mm-hmm. I knew that. I always knew that. I, I didn't, I, but I didn't understand this other side of her. I knew she cared about me. I, I knew that 100%. She showed that all the time. Mm-hmm. And, but she had this deficiency. She had some demons that were always coming out. So that was my first encounter with, um, that was my first physical altercation with anybody. Mm-hmm. Um, it was with, with her. And uh, like I said, I came home and I just ate and then it was, it was just normal. It was domestic violence. Uh, whenever there was an incident between her and my stepdad, there was never, ever any conversation about it. No one talked about it. We didn't have discussions about it. You just went it. back to normal. You just went, went back, back to, to normal. normal. You want some to eat? Get that kitchen clean. Make sure you do your homework. Mm-hmm. Uh, who's supposed to clean this bathroom? Um, just all of those different type of things are, are what happened. And it would just go back to normal. So it became, in, in essence, normalized in my life without me even knowing it. And this program was instilled in me without me even knowing it. I had mm-hmm. no idea that it was in me. But and then it would uh, it would um, manifest at the proper time. So it would, the program would lay dormant. And then when 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 there was a proper time or whatever, quote unquote, proper time, it would come out, which I so had it was like no a cycle. Idea. It was a cycle. Absolutely. And how, mm-hmm. so how how did you um, how do you feel that lack of communication between episodes affected you later in life? Well, I never knew that my life wasn't normal. I never knew that domestic violence was an issue. Mm-hmm. I thought it was normal. I never knew um, that um, being physically, emotionally, verbally, mentally um, abusive was problematic. I didn't know that. And so what do we do? The first thing we do when we get out the house, we go try to find a relationship and create our own situation. Mm-hmm. And, and repeat the pattern. Love. Yeah, but we don't know we're repeating it because we think, oh, mine's going to be different. Mm-hmm. You know, mine is mm-hmm. not. I hear people say that all the time. Mine's going to be different. Okay, well, based on what? Like, mm-hmm. based on what? Like, what is your, you know? So for me, having that schematic um, of, I had the, the schematic of a broken relationship the first love that I learned was not love. It was trauma bonding. So hmm. that was my love. That was my love language. And, and so, of course, you know, um, another aspect of this is that through my mother, I learned to love a deficient woman. And hmm. so. Did you find you know, yourself learned- attracting Oh, well, I'm getting to that. (laughs) Yeah, I'm getting to that. So my uncle told me during my mom, uh, my mom was on drugs. She had alcohol issues, all kinds of things. And so my uncle told me, no matter what, that's you love your mom. And I'm sure a lot of us heard that, you know, growing up in circumstances like that. And so I I took that. I took it as real. 
So guess what? When relationships came about in my life, in my adult life, you know, some woman comes along who's deficient and she has got red flags all over her. Guess what I do? Come on in, open arms. I'm used to this. This is what I know. This is what I know. So I, you know, I invite the, my mother in essence mm-hmm. into my life. Um, well, the, 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 the negative parts of my mother. Right. So what I learned, what I learned with my mom is that my mom had some really, really great qualities. So those great qualities, the love that I felt from her, um, I, I, as long as I could grab those pieces from, from a woman, mm-hmm. I was okay with all the rest of the mess that she brought. Hmm. You know, I, I was okay with that. I was like, okay, well, she, she gave me a few things, but then, you know, she also brought poison and toxicity. Mm-hmm. So I learned that dynamic you know, from my relationship with my mother. And I brought that into adulthood. And like you said, um, I wouldn't say attracting. I would just say that was what I knew. And so there was, because I, I attracted healthy. There was healthy people too, who came initially. I rejected them. I'm like, ah, I don't want you, you're a square. Because it looked from, it was unfamiliar. Yeah, I was like, nah, I don't know about all that. You know, I like this chick over here. You know, she she got some edge to her. You know, she she got some sass to her, or whatever. Right. And you know, that's what I what I knew, and that's mm-hmm. what I accepted. What I accepted, and um, so and that originated with my relationship with my mother. So really quick, you mentioned mm-hmm. uh, a very popular term that uh, that is becoming more popular: tr- trauma bonding. Mm-hmm. And I have a definition of traumatic bonding here. It occurs as the result of ongoing cycles of abuse mm-hmm. in which the intermittent reinforcement of reward and punishment creates a powerful emotional bond mm-hmm. that are very resistant to change. So right. when you when you talk about witnessing your uh, mother being abusive to your stepfather and being abusive to you, you saw that cycle of uh, trauma bonding where the reward was the meal that she had prepared for you. And then the punishment came when she choked you out or showed some type of physical abuse. Mm -hmm. And then she turns around and she gives you another reward, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, in the form of whatever that might look like. And so we get literally wired to participate in these cycles and as children there's no really no escape it should come in from your parent so then now uh you know like you said you become an adult and now you're uh finding yourself attracted to certain parts of your mom but then because of that learned behavior that you saw which you didn't even know it was abuse at the Mm -hmm. time you didn't even know it was abuse it was just all Mm -hmm. you know all you knew and so we all do that at, at what point in time did you realize that you were living an unhealthy life and that you needed to make a change? Um, so I went through my first uh, adult relationship. It was about three or four years where it was abuse. And both of us were equally as abusive. And we were both as equally as broken. You know, So I'm a fender one day, victim next, or sometimes a fender and victim in the same day. It just depend on, depended on the day. We were mm-hmm. both, you know... So, yeah, and so that relationship lasted, like I said, about three, uh, close to three and a half years, something like that. And then um, through that relationship, I had zero awareness, none. And it was, I had no awareness about um, this being a problem, specifically because the person I was with, they 
exhibited the same behavior. So I'm like, oh, okay, cool. Yeah, mm-hmm. this is, yeah. We're this the same. Normal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, we're the same. Yeah, not, this is normal. And then, um, and once that relationship ended and then I got uh, into my relationship with my wife, now ex-wife, um, we were together. And then that's when I realized that this was wrong. Like, okay, something's wrong, you know, because my reactions, this person was not uh, dysfunctional in the same way that I was. She had her own dysfunction. She had a whole other set of dysfunction that was not mine. Mm-hmm. And so when she brought up my behavior, you know, and, you know, first I tried to defend it. I'm like, what's wrong? What do you mean? Everybody yells, everybody curses, everybody throws stuff and punch holes in the walls. Like, what, what's wrong with you? Like, mm-hmm. you know, I tried to deflect that. Um, but as time went on, I started to understand, okay, this was me. And then, you know, that culminated with that me, me going to jail, you know, for, for an incident. And once I went to jail and I remember, okay, all right, so this is legal now. Like, what? Okay. I didn't even, I, that was a shock to me. Like, whoa, I'm in jail? How did, how did this happen? And right. then I started going to the 52-week uh, domestic violence class. And um, that gave me some insight into what this was, but it still didn't pull the root out of it for me. Even after the class, you know, there was still violence. There were still issues in our home because we had a toxic relationship pattern. And it was, it was, um, she, she had, you know, uh, I had more physical, she had more emotional. She was emotionally abusive, I was physically abusive. And um, we just continued this toxic pattern and, you know, under the guise of love, you know, quote unquote love. And, you know, we, we mm-hmm. called it love. So the waking up period came for me after our relationship was deteriorating from a whole host of issues, not just that. Um, there was everything. There was infidelity from both of us. There was domestic violence, verbal abuse, physical abuse, like everything, all of it. And, and um, once our relationship crashed and burned, that's when it really, really, really hit me. Um, mm-hmm. I did the math at that point. And what I mean by that is I did the math and I said, um, uh, I said to myself, I took a look at myself and I said to myself, okay, I had domestic violence in my childhood. I had domestic violence in my first relationship. I had domestic violence in my second relationship. Common denominator, Dominique. So that math really led me to the core of the issue. I'm the issue. And then I did some algebra and I was like, well, the X plus Y equals Z. If I get into another relationship, I'm going to have the same result. Mm-hmm. And so then I became like deathly afraid. I didn't want a relationship. So I spent a few years just by myself. And then I started working on healing and doing, you know, some, uh, some self-work therapy, counseling group, all of those. Um, and but really quick, really ahead. quick though, before you get into mm-hmm. the healing, uh, because the healing is important after you identify that you are the one who needs the healing. Mm-hmm. I think that's mm-hmm. key in these situations. There are a lot of men and women in abusive relationships and they feel, you know, hopeless or like it's normal or mm-hmm. um, they, you know, they're justifying reasons to stay yeah. into something to- toxic without even knowing right. it. You right. talked about the physical abuse, um, the mental abuse, emotional abuse that doesn't leave physical scars so many times people don't even know that they're in an emotionally abusive relationship because they don't even know what that means would you mind Mm -hmm. 
given mm-hmm. just the, some examples of what emotional abuse looks like? Because I think some of my listeners will be able to put pieces to their own puzzle together by hearing some of these types of examples. So um, one thing that I talk about in my, in my work is that I, first I have to explain to people that you have two different bodies. We have more than two, but I'm going to explain these two. You have a physical body and you have an emotional body. Two separate bodies. And, but they're intertwined and they, and they affect each other. So if you're physically ill, it affects your emotional. If you're emotionally ill, it affects your physical. So you have two different bodies and the, emo- the emotional body that we have is feelings. It's feelings. It's, it's happiness, sad, embarrassed, uh, humiliated. It's I feel content. I feel, it's with all of these different feelings that the majority of people don't even know about. All we know is anger and happy. I like this. I don't like this. And that, that's what we know. So the emotional piece, um, the emotional body is something that we have to become familiar with. And I, I look at the emotional world as a language. The emotional world is a language. And most people don't speak the emotional world. They don't know how to speak it because they're afraid. When you learn the language of emotion, you can speak and you can speak clearly about how you feel, why you feel. You can feel you can speak a wide range of things. You can solve a, a wide range of things when you learn how to speak emotion. So when you start talking about well, that that being said, you start talking about emotional abuse. Um, just like the physical body can be harmed, the emotional body can be harmed. So if I tell you, you know, hey, you know, you're never going to be anything. You suck as a person. You're a horrible. That's emotionally abusive mm-hmm. to that person. Because when that person hears that, you know, um, uh, one thing. Especially a child. Uh, uh, yeah. As a child. If you tell a child that or even an adult. I mean, yeah. Everybody listening to this can think back to when someone, everyone listening can think back to when someone said something that hurt them. When we say it hurt me, it didn't hurt me physically. It hurt me emotionally. That's the emotional body. So now in relationships, the emotional abuse um, can play out in a wide range of different ways. I mean, I, it could just be hurting people's feelings, telling them, you know, um, uh, about, you know, uh, oh, you're, 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 you can't lose weight. You're never going to lose weight, you know, or things like, no one will ever be with you other than me. I'm the only one that will tolerate you. You're such mm-hmm. a horrible person. That's emotional abuse. Those are things that, um, or you can't get a job or, you know, you're lazy or you're, I mean, just, there are so many things that you can put, anything that hurts that other person's feelings. Um, and and it's, it's, it's different from, from, from person to person. But yeah. I know for me, different. one of the ma- yeah. major, one of the major examples of, emotional abuse I endured was silent treatment. Uh-huh. Yes, that's a huge I mean that's a powerful yeah. tool from an uh, yeah. uh from an abuser for them mm-hmm. in their mind to regain some sense of control. They ignore right. you and almost dismiss you as if you don't even exist. Yeah. Yeah. Um yeah. and you know yeah. manipula- manipulation and some of those other Yeah, um, those are you know guilt tripping and all yeah. kinds of yeah. The manipulation in part that you talk about ma- manipulation is a huge huge deal. And mm-hmm. it is the gaslighting is something that, you know, something that happens, you know, and, you know, you, I do something to harm another person in the relationship. I cross boundaries or I mess up or I just do something. And then when the person confronts me about it, I deny that it happened and then have them question their reality and tell them that they're crazy. Mm-hmm. You know, you didn't see me with that woman. You're crazy. Mm-hmm. You know, I didn't do anything wrong. You're just taking it that way. 
Mm-hmm. You know, you're just, I'm sorry you took it that way. Wait, you're what? being dramatic. You yeah, you're being dramatic. or you're being, So that's emotional abuse. It's, it's abuse for people. You know, one of the worst things you can do as a person to another person is deny their experience. Yep. When a person tells, that's one of the things that hurts about racism. This was hurt us as black people for so long. Our experience has been completely and unequivocally denied. Nope, you're not experiencing it. And we have been harmed by it in so many different ways, very much mm-hmm. so in a relationship. The same way when someone says, hey, that's hurtful to me. And you say, no, it's not hurtful, especially when it comes to, you know, like, um, it doesn't even have to be this extreme, but, it could, you know, um, a classic is, is the whole uh, um, uh, infidelity. Um, and the levels of infidelity or you're sending nude pictures to somebody or you're texting someone or you're cheating on someone. And then when that is brought up, that person is made to feel as if they're crazy. Mm-hmm. And that is a manipulative, it is a, an, an emotionally abusive tactic, tactic and it's very effective if yep. you don't know about it. If you don't know about it, you, it will, you will have, you, you know, you will, you know, uh, it will have you questioning your own self. I, I had a situation where I actually, um, caught the person you know in the car with someone else and I saw them in the car and then when I talked to them about it I was like "Mm, so you were in the car with such and such and they was like no you didn't see that they said you didn't see that I was like oh so told you told you what you saw try to tell me what I I was like okay and I was like I know I ain't crazy but I had to say to myself I know I ain't crazy I know I saw what I saw you were right there I saw I saw the whole thing and that is mentally abusive and it's emotionally abusive. And so emotional Absolutely. abuse, they don't lay a hand on you. Nope. They lay they a hand on you. But they, they're touching they're touching your mind and they're exactly. touching your heart. Your, your emotional you know? yeah. Yep, your mm-hmm. emotional being, like you said, mm-hmm. or your emotional self. And yeah. you know, what advice do you have to somebody who is in an emotionally abusive relationship right now? Because we've just given some great examples. Mm-hmm. Even if something as simple as catching somebody in the car, it's not simple, but a yeah. very clear example of catching someone in the car and that person turning around in your face saying, you didn't see that, that wasn't me. But yeah. then people stay. People yeah. stay in the relationship for whatever reason. They may have kids involved. It may be because yeah. of finances. When people are in emotionally abusive relationships like this, um, I mean, what what is your advice to that person? You, you need help. You need help. How do you get out of that? How do you get out of an abusive relationship? What are some steps that someone needs to take when they're leaving I, one? I, I always tell people, you know, first you have to become aware. Awareness is everything. Awareness mm-hmm. is a superpower. If you're not aware of your emotional being and the language and you're not aware of manipulative tactics and, and, and how people manipulate, and anytime a person lies, think about that. It could be the smallest thing. The first they're going to do, first thing they're going to do when you try to bring it up, they're going to they're going to get defensive. They're going to try to defend that lie because they don't mm-hmm. want to be exposed. Because if I'm exposed, mm-hmm. that means you're going to leave. So what I need to mm-hmm. do is lie to you so I can keep you here. Keep you so I manipulate. I need to, yeah, yeah. I need to keep you here because I like what I get from you. So I got to mm-hmm. lie and I got to do all this other stuff in order to, in order to make that happen. So mm-hmm. um, if you're not aware of that, um, it really is it's hard for, for people to, because they don't understand the depths of it and how far it can go and what it does to you. It literally, you could go into depression. You could, I mean, it, you, it can mess with your mental health. So I always say to people, anyone, especially during a breakup or tough issues, get some help, 
Go see a life coach, go see a counselor, go see a therapist, go see somebody. Go see somebody and then, and then someone objective and that can help you identify what's happening because mm-hmm. clearly you don't know. If you knew, you wouldn't, you, wouldn't, you wouldn't stay there and be in this, you know, constant situation. Right. Because, so it's, it's like, if you don't get help, then if your only source of information is the person that's actually abusive to you, then mm-hmm. that's a problem. Mm-hmm. Because that's one thing, you know, they said, one, uh, saying one thing a cult does is tell you, the first thing a cult does is tell you everyone else is lying. That's what a cult does. Everyone else is lying. You only get information from me. And mm-hmm. I remember during my abusive days, I, you know, in, in my marriage, I didn't like my partner getting help or going to anyone else. The number one fear was that I was going to be exposed. Exactly. exactly. That, that was my number one fear. I was going to be exposed and I didn't want that. But I'd say getting help. The answer to that question is trying to yeah. get some type of help yeah. and removing yeah. the stigma from going to see a therapist, a counselor, a group or whatever, or start at your church, wherever, wherever you can reach wherever out you to feel somebody. comfortable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because yeah. yeah. help is there. You know, it's like a closed it mouth is. doesn't get fed. So the it moment is. that you open up your mind and your heart and your mouth to receive help, it, the help comes. And yeah. and like you said, number one is is being aware of it and and what I've learned in my healing journey too and I'm sure you've learned is that abusers were oftentimes also abused so hurt people hurt people so that person that you're with is is actually truly hurting on the inside there's something some demon of theirs some Mm -hmm. trauma of theirs uh that they've experienced in their lives that that have gone unaddressed Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. as they have swept their own trauma under the rug, it doesn't go anywhere. You know, again, there it's that learned behavior that you talked about, Dom. They're repeating some sort of behavior that they witnessed or some s- sort of toxic behavior that happened to them. They're just repeating it. Yeah. And so yeah. when we get in relationships with these people, <clears throat> what I learned is I had to ask myself why I was still there. Mm-hmm. After 20 years, yeah. Why are you still, but why are you, st- like, we've already identified that clearly he has an issue by the way he's mm-hmm. treating you. Mm-hmm. But now mm-hmm. why are you taking it? And that's mm-hmm. my challenge to people in domestic relationships, because I know it's scary, especially if somebody has put the fear of God in you that they might kill you if you leave. I know, mm-hmm. I know it yeah. can be scary to leave. Yeah. Um, and sometimes it, it, you are truly in a life-threatening, dangerous situation, and there's help out there and programs that do their best to protect you um, once you reach out for help. But mm-hmm. fear is the reason that people stay. True. You know, True. they're staying because they're fearing something, fearing being alone, fearing being homeless because maybe that other person is the breadwinner, fearing their children not having a two parent home or whatever it is. And mm-hmm. so once that awareness kicks in, it, it, it starts to change your perspective and it helps you to get back to. Um, the root of all of it, which is you. True. Like you, yeah. you learning that you need the help. <laughs> Not it doesn't, yeah, the, other, yeah. the other person needs the help, but I need the help too. And one of my motivating factors in healing myself were my three daughters mm-hmm. because I didn't want the pattern to continue. And mm-hmm. I know you are a father as well. How many? You have three boys? Yeah. You have three boys. And so, I know that you had to have in your awareness 
um, you know, an aha moment where you realize if I continue this pattern, my boys are going to be just like me. How has your healing journey, you've been through the awareness, you've, you've reached out for the help through counseling, uh, and now you're actually on your healing path. You had some single time alone, which mm-hmm. I believe is crucial in the healing mm-hmm. journey. Don't yes. hop your yes. butt in another relationship. That's, Be yeah. with yourself. Be mm-hmm. with yourself as scary mm-hmm. as it may feel. Be with yourself so you can like, get to the bottom of your issues. And so now you're healing. How has that affected you as a father now? Um, what it did was that it translated um, to my my sons because after I started my journey, the awareness, I was just woke to the fact that, wow, my boys have been experiencing me and um, in this horrible time, so they need help as well. And mm-hmm. so... I just brought them along the same journey as myself and explaining to them, hey, your dad was not okay, was not wrong during that time. This stuff has gotten on to you, so we're going to need you to heal, start some healing as well. And so after you, when you behave that way, one of the things that you do, I mean, as a father or mom, a parent in general, is your, your children don't trust you. They lose trust in you. And so for me, I've had to work and I'm still working to build trust. How do you build trust? Consistency, consistently being there, consistently not being that same person and then actively letting them know, talking about those issues, talking about, you know, the things that, you know, so my boys, I mean, let me see the two, Dante, uh, Skip, my uh, 19 and 22 year old, they, they, they attend uh, counseling today to address nice. some of the things because so when this was happening, they were kids. You can put a kid in counseling at, at, at uh, you know, nine, but they won't have the awareness to understand. It won't manifest till they're like 15, 16 when they get the awareness, you know? So mm-hmm. this happened, you know, over a decade ago, but you know, my 19 year old is pissed at me now because he has the awareness now of what I was. Mm-hmm. He couldn't understand it then. So I, so I have to walk him through this now. You know, we had a really close relationship and then he became aware like, pop, that was you, really? He was doing that. And so he's upset. You know, he got upset with me, you know, so I have to make sure my job as a parent now is to just stand and be there for him however he needs. He may Mm -hmm. need space. He may need me to be there every day for him. He may need me to go to counseling with him. He may need to just sit and talk with me. He may need me to just sit there and not say anything. Whatever he needs for me, it is my duty to make sure that I'm, I'm, I'm giving that to him and all of them to just show them that, listen, no, I get it. I'm not leaving. I'm not going anywhere. I'm here. You know, the job is not done and it's a lifetime journey. And so the healing part goes up and down with, with your, with the kids. One minute they're good. Next minute they're not. And it's okay. I'm there for, it doesn't matter to me. I don't move no matter what your journey is. My job is to love you and to, and let you know, validate everything that they bring to me. When they bring me their experiences, that was their experience. You're right. And all Mm -hmm. I can say is that I'm sorry. There's, there's nothing. If I could change that, man, I would. But the only thing I could do is change my behavior. Now, if you've seen me behaving the same way today, then yeah, that's a problem. But what I've given them is I've given them a body of work of myself of, of difference. So they've seen the the horrific part of me, and then they've seen this other part of me. Of like, man, you mm-hmm. and you know, and all of them have come to me at different times. Was like, pop, you're different. Like, you really are different. Like, you're different. Like, even how I interact with their mother, their mom. You know, we have a good relationship for for a divorced couple. And, you know, they see the interaction, which 
um, I feel like I, I need to show them that. I have to show them that, listen, we can get along. It's not about us being together. We're not together. We're never, ever going to be together. But I'm going to show them that, listen, I will respect your mom. I, you will see positive interactions from herself and myself because that is what they need to see. And so in a nutshell, it is just a uh, my job, how it's affecting me is just I have to be even more aware of their trauma. Mm-hmm. not just mm-hmm. mine because you know sometimes you bring things to parents and they just oh are you ungrateful that no 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 step outside of yourself step outside of yourself and 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 your and your perspective as well because yeah a lot of times we parent out of our trauma we're, we're parenting from our experience that we yes. personally had and yes. I know I've projected my experience onto my daughters I know the effects that it had on me with my dad not being there Right, and so right. I've tried to prevent those effects on my daughters, but mm-hmm. how do you prevent an effect that hasn't even happened yet? And how do you know how it's going to affect them? So mm-hmm. I'm making an assumption that their father not being in the home is going to affect them the way that it affected me. And so I, I found myself having to become very aware not to like project my experience on my children. And like you said, give them what they need individually. I think that's huge because if a parent's issues go unresolved and unchecked, you're going to automatically just bring a bunch of crap to your kids as well. Uh, And so that, again, that awareness is huge and, and for healthy relationships, whether it's a healthy parenting relationships, healthy romantic relationships, awareness is key. And You've talked about healing and, and, and the work that it takes to heal, uh, you know, through therapy, through changing your uh, behaviors. And that stuff can be very hard because it's deeply rooted. It's a way yeah. that you had already been living for years. And now here, are, here you are making this radical change. Um, as we get ready to close here, I want, I want you to talk about um, where you found some fun in your healing journey, uh, because it can be very intimidating to mm-hmm. open up your heart and say, okay, I'm ready to, to heal from all this crap that I've been suppressing. And, mm-hmm. and, it, and it is work. And, there, mm-hmm. there are, and it's up and down. Some days you yeah. cry, some days you give up, some yeah. days you're hard mm-hmm. on yourself, some mm-hmm. days you're, you're more forgiving towards yourself. It, it's a lifelong journey, but we can make this enjoyable as well. And what, is, what are some things you've done to make, as a man, um, to just make your journey um, enjoyable? And, and how has facing your demons been worth it to you um things one of the things that um i learned throughout this journey was self-care was learning that i have to take care of myself i have to you know my expectation was everyone else was supposed to take care of me and make me feel good Mm. that was my and and that that's a short trip to a bad place if someone comes along and they can you know help make your life better excellent but i specifically put all of the uh responsibility on others and I didn't take care of my own self. So that was the fun part for me where I actually started. I would just go sit by the water downtown by myself. Just sit there. I don't need to talk to anybody. I don't need, I'm just sitting there, just taking life in and thinking about what I need to do, where I've gone and things like that. And just learning, uh, working out was a good thing for me. Just self-care was something that was um, a great tool for me. The other mm-hmm. thing was that, implementing the knowledge that I learned was fun. Um, when I was able to learn a new, the concept of I don't have to respond to everything. Oh my gosh, my world just lit up. 
like, okay, so this person's throwing out some mess at me. I'm like, you know what? Mm, I'm gonna leave. And mm-hmm. I don't have to I don't have to. Like I don't have to sit here and keep going back and forth forever. I can stop the in, you know interaction, like you know, but boundaries. Boundaries was, are, is a good yeah, it's a good fruit from the labor. Man, that is <laughs> but but what you said though, it's really hard. The majority of days, you know, you know, I felt really, really happy during my time of healing and I felt extreme sadness. I felt very mm-hmm. strong and extremely mm-hmm. weak. I was very, very confident and extremely insecure. That mm-hmm. is the healing journey. It is the mm-hmm. polar opposite. You're going to touch every valley and every peak during healing. And, and what I learned to do was not get high off of either. I can't get high off of the highs and, to, and low on the lows. I got to stay in the middle and keep going. I just have mm-hmm. to keep going and keep going. And so for me, that, it, it, the, and the thing that makes this worth it is being, I feel free there's a freedom that I have that I didn't have before. Like mm-hmm. I feel free. I'm free to choose what I want my life to be. Before yep. it was just a reaction. My life was a big, one big reaction to everything happening to me. It was a reaction. Now I get to choose and say, mm, do I want this? Maybe I do want this. Maybe I don't want this. Let me figure this out. Uh, is this okay? No, this is not okay. And I get to choose that. Freedom is everything to me. I'm meant to be free. Dom is in free Dom is in it's free Dom. The word free Dom. I'm meant to be free. So I that is so important to me. And then to get that. to a to get to a place of balance. Those are my favorite words, balance and freedom. To be balanced, not too much, not too little. Balance. That is another thing. Like the the these things bring me joy. Mm-hmm. When I have freedom and when I have balance, when I'm balanced and I don't have all kinds of drama in my life. I feel, yeah. I feel joy. I feel joy. Mm-hmm. I'm like, mm-hmm. love, life is so beautiful. Not that it's perfect, but it's beautiful. And that's how I see it. So the journey is worth it. Going to therapy. I, I was in, went to therapy for about three and a half years. And then I went to, you know, church groups and I went to secular groups. I went to um, uh, co-ed groups, men's only groups. I went to all kinds of different groups to just figure out, figure me out. And one thing I want to say too, it was it my it was a combination of church and then secular for me. Mm-hmm. You know, you hear a lot of church people are afraid of that. Like, oh, don't go to them. You have to have no, no. Mm-hmm. God's with Jesus. me wherever I go. With Jesus, me only I go. Jesus. So, no, calm down. If I go over <laughs> there, he goes with me. So you know. right. So you know, I uh, I went to Christian counselors. I went to secular counselors. I needed all different perspectives, and I was able yeah. to put them together. And so. Um, what I made sure That's I did part do, of self-discovery too. Yeah. It's just what being I, open. Mm-hmm, yeah. Yeah. I, w- I wasn't afraid because you spoke about fear. I wasn't afraid to go over there because I knew mm-hmm. wherever I go, if, if I believe what I believe, it goes with Amen. me. I, Amen. It's not, I don't care where I go. So, but, um, it's one thing that's important is to know that it's not just one or the other. When I say balance, it was a balance of spiritual and, uh, natural for me. Mm-hmm. I needed it. Yeah, it wasn't that I just went to church and be like, well, I'm healed. I'm done. I ain't abuser no more. Nope. That's not how it works. I had to go through the journey of healing the hard work of God performing surgery on me with no anesthesia. That's what had to happen. And then, then having to go to a, a, a counselor and therapist and learn about these concepts of, you know, trauma bonding and learn about, you know, the, the history of childhood and stuff like that. So um, that journey was definitely hard, but it was worth it. Absolutely worth it. And I'm not it, done. Man. 
I, you, it's ongoing. It's like yeah. the, it's like peeling back layers to an onion. I can't tell you mm-hmm. how many times I'm triggered by something, yep. and I'm like, "Oh shoot, there's an area I need to pay attention to. <laughs> yeah. I need to love yeah. on that. I didn't yeah. know that was still there." Mm-hmm. Sometimes you're mm-hmm. like, "Oh, I didn't even know that was still there." You get yeah. put in situations, but when you have the, you know, when you have your support in place through therapy, good, good, trusted, close friendships, have you got to have a support group in place yeah. Yeah. throughout throughout this journey and and you've definitely proven that men can heal men can heal and there are men that are listening to this interview they're thinking ah no i don't need that or oh i'm good i'm good like and so there's people that are people are comfortable having those you know those thorns in their sides and 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 sometimes people will never get to the depths of their healing and that's okay Mm -hmm. but to the man that's listening right now that it is, it, you know, he's been taught to not cry. He's been taught to not show his emotions. He's been uh-huh. taught to just, you know, keep it moving. I got to keep providing. I don't have time to be sad. I don't have time to think about this stuff. I got to keep uh-huh. going. Uh-huh. That man that is really, truly avoiding his healing. What is, uh, what do you say to that man that is listening to this, that thinks that this is just against his masculinity? Well, I want to I want to say to him that, first of all, I understand exactly why he says, keep it moving. I don't have time for that. There is a place for that in this world. When you're out there battling. Yeah, you got to be in warrior mode. But there has to be a time where you come home and take that that gear off and then be yourself and learn about how to deal with yourself without being a warrior. Now, I'm just a man. Now, what is it about me that I need to work on? What are my flaws? Do I lie too much? Am I drinking too much? You know, what am I addicted to porn? Am I addicted to, you know, uh, sex? Like, what is my issue? Am I just violent? Do I go off? Do I yell and cuss at everybody? What are my issues? And, And you have to be able to address, like I said earlier, we know the warrior. I know every man out there got some warrior in them. But at some point in time, I need you to pause on warrior and deal with human beings. Deal with the human being that you are. And you are a human being who went through some traumas and you have to deal with those. Now, when you deal with those, a lot of the warrior you won't even need. You won't need to be out there and and fighting every battle because you gain this self-awareness. The best example I use is Neo in the Matrix. When Neo found out who he was, everything changed for him. It slowed down. He's stopping bullets in midair. You know, he's not afraid. He's not living in fear. Now, in the beginning of the movie, in The Matrix, when Neo was scared and secure, didn't know anything, running from everybody out there battling, you know, it's rough out there in them streets. When he learned who he was and he learned and, and started to work on himself, then everything changed. And I say that to the man out there, put the warrior down for a second, take some time and figure out what happened to you. How did you get to the place where you are now? If you don't like where you are now, there's a, do a DNA test on the behavior that you have. What is what does the DNA test say? Where did that behavior originate? And there is an origination from that behavior. A lot of times it's an emotional wound. We have men and women walking around who are just walking emotional wounds. The, every decision they make comes from from an emotional wound. People that they, they put out their 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 uh, uh, their uh, list for relationships and all every single thing on that list comes from an emotional wound. And, and, you know, and I, I hear it. I know it when I hear it. I'm like, oh, OK. All right. That's your emotional wound. But to, to, again, to the man. Take a break from the warrior. We know you're strong. We know we know that that's already established. We know you don't take no mess. We know you uh, we know you ain't no punk. Like We know that. But there is a side of you deal with the humanity of you deal with the human side of you. And that's OK. 
you actually become a stronger man when you are balanced, when you have your emotional body in check and your physical body. I don't have to deal with physical things, you know, like I used to because my emotional body is in check. And so I love it. I got to keep learning, though. I love these nuggets that you are dropping. Like, seriously, I love these nuggets that you're dropping. You, you're you not only a dom- domestic violence prevention advocate, you're also a speech- speaker and yes. a life coach. Where can yes. my listeners find you, Dom? You can find me at dwalltower.com. That's uh, D-W-A-L-T-O-W-E-R. Uh, that's my website. Um, my um, You're on Instagram. Instagram. That's right. Get all your cool inspirational videos on Instagram. Instagram is king, K-I-N-G dot D-O-M 41. King dot Dom 41. That's my Instagram. Um, And um, if anyone can't reach me in these ways, connect with you, Jazz. You have my information. Um, And I'm I'm always willing to work with people with relationship. You know, I work with primarily men. I, I, I seek men, but work with some women too and then and, and some couples um but if i'm not out on i'm speaking all over the country somewhere and i, I work a lot with military um because abuse is an issue on bases so yep yep um but those are pretty much uh the ways that you can reach me um and but other than that i'm i'm ready to tackle anything anyone brings because it's there's nothing that you can bring to me that's going to be like oh that's too much no nah. I'm not shocked by anything. My background is I worked in social services for 20 years, social work, probation, all that stuff. So nothing. And then I know my own life. So anything that comes to me, it's just like, oh, okay. All right. Let's, let's figure out how to help you. All right, Mr. King Dom, he is unafraid and already taken his DNA test. Have you taken your personal (laughs) DNA test? Uh, I love it. Thank you so much for hanging out with the rise up with jazz family. And uh, we look forward to connecting with you again, Dom. And thank you all for listening. Make sure you share this with a friend. Some powerful nuggets here. I'll see you for the next episode with Rise Up With Jazz.